I got such a kick out of that in the book where, and this is early on, so it's not a big spoiler, where the boy's uh, filling out the application for a job. <laughs> and, you know, he comes down to what to check for his gender. And there was like 72 options or something, but he couldn't find just male. Yeah. And he found everything else. And it's like, man, I, I just thought I was a male, basically, is what he was thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and also in that, in that um, application, he had to go through this AIT, which is, no, I'm sorry, IAT, which is a little test called the implicit, uh, it's basically a, t- I forgot what the name of it, implicit association test, but it basically is meant to, f- to find what your uh, subconscious bias is. And it's crafted by psychologists in order to show, in order to say that you are racially biased, right? And by the, this is real. They have these tests in the university. I've actually taken the test. You can find it online. It's usually connected with Harvard or something. But, but you can actually take the test, and it's this crazy little thing that, such that no matter what answers you give, they all end up concluding that you have a bias against black people, right? And... Uh, and so I actually have that test in, in the story as well. And I, I, I took the test and I took the test th- trying to think as a person who I would think um, uh, would, be, would be the kind of person who, who fits their paradigm of a liberal, of a, of a leftist. And even that came out with, you are implicitly biased against, in, in other words, any answer you give, it's going to show. Mm. You know, they, they would have insane questions like, show you a bunch of faces like are you you know like are you afraid of either of these faces and sometimes it would be a black person and a white person or two black people or two white people but like you know if you're not i i most of us like look at these faces like no i'm not afraid of any of these people but if you put that down you still have a you still have implicit bias you know it's like you know anything you answer and that's the point that's what ideology does where no matter what you say or do you are a racist if you're white. And that's the power of ideology. And, um, and that's, what's, that's why in society, like anything you say, they can spin it to make you look like you're a racist, which is crazy, but mm-hmm. that's what's going on right now. I, I love that you brought up uh, the Young Turks because that, that actually is a news show that I enjoy listening to because they will go back and forth between both sides and they call out both sides pretty doggone That's equally. Good. Pretty doggone I've, I was very impressed by their unbiasedness on calling both sides out. So That's good. Yeah. Good so to hear. That was pretty cool. <laughs> um, uh, what, while we're talking about language, I wanted to ask this question. I was like, a, I'm thinking of always like boundary cases, like where, because we, we were just talking about some boundary cases, like words that, you know, have a certain connotation so we get rid of versus words that we say, hey, have a significance that like means something. So, um, you know, kind of the, the, the words du jour are pronouns, um, you know, whose pronouns are, are what, and do you put pronouns in bile? And it's, it's, a, it's a classic online canard now that, and to be honest, I, I, I have to admit I 70% put pronouns in my bile just to piss off people who said, oh, you put your pronouns in your bile. Um, <laughs> so um, my- You're a contrarian. Yes, there you go. So my my question is, my thought is, is like, okay, so there's there's a you know a significant number of of Christians who will be like, you know, we can give no quarter on the language. We need to be very specific about he/her based on um, you know assigned sex at birth. 
Um, but I was running the situation where I noticed, for instance, I'm like a guy with long hair, clean shaven. Sometimes I dye my hair. Oh, I'm um, sorry. I thought you were a woman. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thanks for um, telling me. And I have this tiny picture on my bio and it actually has me with pink hair. Gotcha. And I was thinking about the person who might not know that I use he, him pronouns. And I actually did this once where there was someone who had no picture on their profile. Um, and all I did is all I'd ever talked to them was on a Slack channel. And um, they had a name that was a, that was a foreign name that I wasn't familiar with. And I referred to them he over and over and over again. And then someone else told me that they were a she. So it had me thinking that while on the one hand, there's this very much this like if you have your pronouns in your bio or if you state your pronouns ahead of a conversation, that you are subscribing to a certain ideology. But on the other hand, there's like this pragmatism where I was missing out on correctly gendering someone who was a biological female, and I wouldn't have if they would have had their pronouns in their, in their bio. Oh, so I was oops. curious what you think about that. <laughs> oops. Yeah, you know, look, I, I acknowledge it's a com it can be a complex issue. Um, and I mean, uh, you know, we've had that, it, we've had that issue in society ever since I've been a kid, you know, meaning I've met people where you, they look kind of more like a boy and you, you know, I'm not a girl, I'm a boy or, or, or whatever reverse. You know what I mean? Like you, we've misunderstood who's because of the way they looked. And so we've always had that issue of like, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't understand based on the way you look. Um, but of course the, the, obviously the, the exceptions don't prove the exceptions only prove the rule, but, but I'm what I'm most interested in is, is, dealing with the issue while acknowledging that there are some, uh, yeah, there are some, and there's also the compassion issue of, you know, it's as Christians, even we don't have to agree with people to be able to talk and graciously to them and accept them to a certain degree on, on their own terms and, and how far do you go and all that. Um, but I'm most interested in the origins of this, where is this coming from? Because that's where you find out what's really behind it. Mm. And when you understand that, well, the whole, the philosophy that bore that fruit uh, is rooted in, in the enforcement of, of thinking, like a thought police enforcement of, we cannot accept external reality as reality. It's only internal reality. And, and therefore, um, internal reality defines our identity. So it doesn't matter what you look like. You have to, you have to communicate your internal reality because people can't know that, you know? And of course we also have the, the, and that, that of course is the denial of science, the denial of biological reality, the denial of Bible, the denial of Christ. And so it's rooted in that anti-Christ philosophy that I would argue. And that's why I think it's important for us not to um, completely capitulate to that. Now, obviously, there's going to be individual instances. Jordan Peterson, you know, he's, I don't, I, I don't know that I would agree with him fully, but he, you know, he was one in case where he's like, look, you know, I've done it at times. I've accepted it. People that I would talk to or students in classes, I've accepted their pronouns because of the complexity of the situation. But when the state or when, you know, some, when, when a system is forcing me to, to, to adopt language and therefore a view of reality that I do not accept, that's a different story. And I, I, ref, I refuse to accept being forced to do that, right? Uh, and that's one way of addressing the issue as well, right? So, but, but how do we do it on individual circumstances and issues? You know, I, I admit that there's going to be some fluidity, but in general for me, the, the principle is, is if you first, if you recognize that the essence of 
the paradigm is a denial of biological reality and the enforcement of a false, uh, a false delusional mental illness, then it's like, well, I'd be very careful about, about how you're going to address that with individuals, you know, like as a Christian, what I would seek to do is I would seek to avoid using the reality, the reality of like say a trans person around me, uh, 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 a girl who, th- who thinks she's a boy, I would, I, I would not seek to inflame her. What did I say? A girl thinks he's a boy. This, this is the confusion. They like the confusion. Um, I, would, I, would, I, I wouldn't accept calling her a him, but I wouldn't also seek to just say he, he, he. You know, I would try to use her name instead, and I would not seek to inflame her, but I wouldn't accept the mental illness because it's not, it, it only damages them in, in the long run. You know what I mean? And so... So, you know, you seek to try to find a, a, a way to, to, just like as a Christian, I don't accept an uh, atheist worldview, uh, but, you know, I seek to try to communicate to them in a way that's not going to just, you know, uh, uh, insult them and attack them and stuff. I'm trying to be persuasive and winsome with the gospel. That's how I see it in my life. But that doesn't mean I'm, but I still take a stand on different issues at different times. And, and sometimes I'll make, even like in this show tonight, I know that I've said some very strong things. Um, uh, and from a philosophical perspective and, and on a public uh, interaction, but how, how do we, how we behave with individuals in a private situation I, I will I will be different, you know. I, I deal differently in different contexts. You know what I mean? I think that's yeah, yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I'm okay. Yeah. You know, I appreciate you mentioning that nuance because I was thinking as you were mentioning that of a like of the opposite of that. And I, there's this this um, apologist I won't name them, but they will talk about like how they need to communicate these issues with compassion and sensitivity, and then they will go into a five minute diatribe explaining exactly why they need to dead name the person while they're explaining it to them. Like, right. But, but you also have to realize though, that, that our, what I would argue is that's what I was trying to say of there is a difference between public speech and private speech in, in the sense of, you know, private individuals versus public. And, uh, so that, that's where I would say, look, I, I don't know the person and maybe they are a jerk. I don't know, but, but, um, uh, arguing for the truth, um, it, it, publicly, it, it's like a debate. You know, when you go into debate, you're going to say things and talk in a in a stronger way than you might on a personal level with someone. You know, because you're trying to rigorously, you know, you you use rigorous, uh, rational and 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 rational language and such to try to make the point to prove the truth you believe in. But when it comes down to it, when you interact with people, yeah, you adjust just like Jesus adjusted the way he talked to people. Right? I mean, yeah. he would call Pharisees. You know, he would call them, you know, liars, hypocrites, fools, right? But then other sinners who were, who were repentant, like Zacchaeus and such, you know, he didn't. He, he was very gracious to those who were aware and acknowledging their own depravity. But those who refused to acknowledge it, he was really harsh with them. So, yeah, there's, it's, it's not easy. And I, I you know, I, I, and quite frankly, I haven't. I haven't been in the university, so I, I haven't been face to face with the hardest version of this stuff. And I'll, I, I understand that it's not—it's not simple for sure. It, oh, it, yeah. It's not simple, and I haven't been in the university teaching, but I have taught in my church, and I will tell you that I taught a person in one of our making peace classes. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of that, making peace with your past. Anyways, me and my wife—we used to teach that in our church. And there was a person there who was born paraplegic, born as a male, 
but because of their life circumstance being so difficult as a paraplegic and not growing up in a nurturing home, uh, decided to transition into a female. I've only known the person as a female at our church. And in the context of getting to know her at our church, uh, there was always this little tug of, we felt her trying to force all of us to accept that, but still knowing this reality in the back of our head. And it, it, in the end, it did not end up well for her. I mean, to be completely honest, she, she ended up being brutally murdered here in Old Wow. Brooklyn. Ouch. And at her funeral, uh, even her own family addressed her as a him because that's how her family remembered them. Mm. So it's such a complex thing. But to try to force this other reality on other people, it's, yeah. it's hard. Yeah. yeah. And it, 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 it. Yeah. There's there's definitely a some difficulty there back and forth. I have a I have a, a friend and his his wife actually has like advanced medical degrees in biology and uh, and she's far left. She's actually far far left, <laughs> and she has some trouble with it because being somebody who has degrees in biology, she hates having to force being forced to say certain things in certain situations because of her advanced degrees. And, uh, and she's like, listen, biologically, she's, I've, I'm far left. I've got no problem ad- admitting most of the stuff on the left. She's like, these I have some issues with. You know, and so there is some of that back and forth. Um, yeah. 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 So, so, you know, Brian, going back to your book early on in the beginning, you know who I admired the most? Who? It was the, uh, in the very beginning, the, the boy's first class where the teacher was talking about, um, I forgot. The what philosophy he, professor? I think so. But the Nigerian. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I found myself, man, like, man, I wish I could be like this guy in those type of situations <laughs> who, you know, it's like, no, I'm not going to settle for that. I'm going to push back on that a little bit. And, you know, he, yeah. he knew and understood his faith well enough to to let himself be challenged because I'm sure he went into the situation knowing what he was going into and still somewhat open, but yet holding his firm ground, you know, her, holding his faith and not compromising. And mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think it showed an excellent balance that you can have to still being a part of society, but still not yet compromising your faith. Yeah. Yeah, I um and and that was a very particular character choice too because there's a sense in which um like uh from the broader global perspective missionaries will tell you that now Africa is actually the center of 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 the um of the Christian world, you know, mm. and uh in terms of influence and numbers and stuff and, and such and, you know, we, in other words, we used to, for, obviously for many years, we thought, you know, America was this, you know, center of mission, of, of, of Christians and stuff going out to, to the mission field and all this. But now Africa is that reality. And we are kind of the mission field for them. And so the, the African Christian is in some ways, I, I think, um, has, from what I've understood, you know, and Vadi Bakum is, is a great example of this, you know, is, is that the African Christian is now sort of the uh, bulwark or the um, sort of the last stand of who, Christians who are uh, in some ways a little bit more rooted in a strong 
faith and understanding of the Bible, you know, yeah. as, as I think American Christianity in many levels, uh, has, has been weakened, has been, uh, you know, just sort of dissolved and on many different ways. So, um, yeah. I, yeah, I just so, love the dialogue back and forth because the professor didn't yeah. quite know what to do, but, you know, spot out whatever, you know. Yeah. Yeah, he's black. He's, he a, he's a black Nigerian, and the professor's like, has to, you know, he normally would insult Christians, but it's like, uh oh, will he insult the black guy? Well, of course he does, because as we all know, you can insult black people if they're Christians or conservatives. That, like, you know, Judge Clarence Thomas isn't a real black. That's what they say, right? You know, it's like, oh, okay, it's okay to call him an Uncle Tom, and it's okay to insult him with racist diatribes, right? But it's like because he's a conservative black yeah, man. Yeah. So yeah, that was kind of part of what's going on there as well. Yeah, there's uh, there's some very interesting stories coming out of uh, the African area as you're talking about. Um, one of those actually relates back to Catholicism. You know, uh, my faith. Uh, that's there was a Boko Haram was taking over a very large area down there, and one of the fathers enacted a uh, a walk every day praying the rosary. And this is a, a village that was being harassed, and their their females were being taken captive, and so he started this this rosy rosary uh, proceeding around the village, the, the, a march every single day. And that is now one of the safest places to be. Ever since they wow. started that rosary, that rosary procession, it, wow. is, it is now one of the least aggravated areas in the entire country. That's really cool. Yeah. So it's it's amazing that you know if you proceed with your faith, even despite what's happening around you, the things that can happen. So it's, yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, I. I, uh, in a way, the novel's kind of a, it's a dark, it's a serial killer story and, and it's a dark novel. And, um, you know, I deal with a lot of violence on the university campus, you know, um, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, mobs and stuff like that, how the, you know, and the violence and the language that the, the kids use. And so, um, it's, you know, I, I wanted to be realistic, but I also, and, and I wanted to, because it's a thriller, it, because it's in that world of darkness, you know, I go there, but I also wanted to show, I wanted to find, well, how can I, how can I show some hope? How can I show uh, a contrast of what I think might be a little bit of a reflection of real Christianity or of, of a robust Christianity, right? And, and that's one of the reasons why I have that Nigerian character in there. Because, you know, if you, if you do a story where everything's negative, you know, you're really sort of reinforcing that, you know, um, that cynicism that you don't want to like as bad as the world is. And I believe the world is very bad and very evil. Um, I, but I don't believe that it's without hope. I don't believe that, um, that it's without redemption. Right. And so we have to be careful to, to show some positive examples of how might a real Christianity exist in that environment. And that was sort of my background to that. Well, and going back into the stories, some of the characters come off as, as very relatable, especially things that happen uh, on campus, like your like Dr. Joseph Ka uh, Callinger and uh, and Anna Zwan uh, how do you say her name Z Zwanziger? <laughs> yeah, Zwanziger. Uh, there you go. Um, some of them are, are very relatable figures, right? These are people that you feel you've known through your life. Um, were they inspired by anybody? 
Um, yeah, there are some. I do, I, you know, sometimes I do create craft characters and I, I sort of root them in people I know or know of. Person, it's usually personality types. So it's not like, oh, I know this person, so I reproduce them exactly because, I, I mean, I wouldn't be against that because sometimes characters we meet in life can be very interesting and some of their quirks and you put them in characters. I'm all for that, but... But my mind tends to think more in terms of archetypes, I guess. Okay. And so, so there are sort of maybe characters who, character types or personality types that I've known. And I, I take that as a base and then I, I, but I let the story also dictate the needs of those characters and the worldviews. Because characters and stories um, are embodiments of worldviews in many ways, right? I mean, there are personal embodiments. It's not just, the whole point of it is a story is, is you're talking about people with different views of the world in conflict and which of these views of the world comes out on top and which one wins and which, is, you know, which works and which doesn't, that kind of a thing. There, there's much of storytelling that that's what it's all about. Um, that's the little secret. I wouldn't call it a dirty little secret, but that's definitely the... Um, sort of untold secret of a lot of storytelling. People um, think like, oh, it's just a good story. It's like, no, no, storytellers are embodying their worldview. And the way we do that is each of the characters in our stories represents a view, a person who has a view of the world that we're trying to address. Is this a good view or not? Is this work or not? And, and um, the, the, those, those, the, you know, the ultimate conflict is between the hero and the villain and the, the way they view the world, right? And so... Um, <clears throat> There are some characters who do the, probably the most distinguished character, uh, the most distinct character of that kind is the Joseph Callinger Kal character because he is the psychiatrist who had declared, who had, who had uh, you know, psychoanalyzed the villain in the past, which is why he went to, to uh, the state hospital, mental hospital, instead of prison. And that was part of a, a, a declaration of him being guilty but mentally ill. You know, normally the guilty but, or not guilty by reason of insanity, that's the whole, you know, uh, that's one of the conundrums. Well, there's a more recent, still somewhat controversial, but sometimes it's used, which is, no, they're mentally ill, but they're still guilty. Meaning there's still a sense in which they have a moral guilt, whether or not they're mentally ill. So that when their mental illness is cured, they go to prison. Whereas, because they were truly guilty. Whereas the guilty by, not guilty by reason of sanity is, once they're cured of their mental illness, well, they, they weren't guilty, so now they can go free. And that's one of the dangers of the whole state hospital scenario. Um, so I'm going off topic, but... but uh, so Joseph Callinger, the psychiatrist, and he's the one who's sort of wrestling. He's a main character because he is is kind. He's a um, he's a what do they call it? A composite character, I think, of this phenomenon, more of a phenomenon than anything, of intellectuals that I respect. Okay. That like Douglas Murray, Jordan Peterson. These are men now in the culture who are standing and arguing for Western civilization. Western civilization is under fire. That's the, the, uh, the, the ultimate enemy of the wokeness, of post-modernity, of cultural Marxism, of leftism, of all that stuff. The ultimate enemy is Western civilization. They're trying to deconstruct it. And Western civilization is 
rooted in a foundation of Judeo-Christian worldview and a little bit of the Enlightenment. It's a mixture there. It's not perfect, but but um, but it, there's a strong argument for a heavy influence of Judeo-Christianity on Western civilization. That's why all these woke monsters and, and such are trying to destroy Western civilization and why they hate it so much because it is rooted in Christianity and they ultimately hate Christianity and God. That's their goal, their ultimate enemy, right? So, but I find it, I found it very fascinating as I followed these guys. They're among my most respected men, um, uh, cultural commentators out there today. And I found it so fascinating that there's a lot of them that aren't Christians. Some of like Douglas Murray's an atheist, you know, Jordan Peterson, you know, he's been an interesting character, but certainly in the earlier years, he was, he would not say he would, you know, his understanding is mythological. Christianity is mythological, but he, he believed in the truth of it, but he wouldn't necessarily believe in the doctrines that many Christians would say. Now he might be in a different area, but a uh, different situation now. But a lot of these guys, um, Tom Holland, another guy who I understand is a, a secular guy, but he, he defends Western civilization. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I was, I've been intrigued by this, this notion of what, what is it like to, and, and some of, by this way, some of them have outright said this where it's like, yeah, I know I'm not a Christian, and I like to believe, but I don't, uh, but I kind of wish I did. Uh, and I'm certainly, I certainly support it because I see that it creates, Christianity creates a, um, a prop, a, uh, um, a, a good context in which culture can thrive with both freedom and both morality, right, and having certain and having appropriate limitations. In other words, to keep it from going into chaos or going into anarchy or whatever. All all the possibilities of what culture can become. They acknowledge that Christianity, and they even they even see Christianity as a powerful mythological framework, right? Self-sacrifice, atonement for forgiveness for sins. That is, even though they don't personally believe it. They understand it as a paradigm that makes a lot of logical sense for keeping society civilized. And I've always found this fascinating. And I'm like, you know, how is it that they don't just commit to it, you know? And, and what, this, what was that like? And what would it take to be for them to actually make a commitment to Christianity as a real faith belief rather than just a, you know, true myth, you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. And so that's what I wrestle with in this character of, um, of, uh, Joseph Callinger, the, the, the psychiatrist. And he's, he's one of the main hero, one of the main protagonists in the story. Yeah. And, uh, the other protagonist is Danny Rains, who is the evangelical Christian who goes to college and becomes caught up in this social justice and, and all that. And he sort of goes downhill while, while the other guy goes uphill, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that was that was um, something that, and, and it, it is something like I don't understand. I love listening to these guys, and I love hearing their reasonings, and I often wonder, like, what would it take? What's the difference? What would it take? And to be quite honest, I think, I think it's a, the the existence of these guys are a good expression. Are they a proof? I don't know, but they're evidence. They're an expression of what I believe the truth about the gospel is. This is why I believe that salvation, real salvation of a, of a person's 
soul is not a matter of knowledge. You can know the truth. You can even believe it to a certain degree, right? You can even sort of like, yeah, I can understand, you know, Jesus, uh, or, or let's put it this way. You can believe everything except maybe the most extreme, like resurrecting from the dead and all this, but you can see the value of it. You can see, you can believe Jesus is a good guy, whatever. Uh, he's a great teacher. You can believe all this stuff, but yet still not embrace it. Why? What, what would keep you from doing that? And this is what I think the difference is, is the Holy Spirit. Meaning salvation is not, uh, once you know it, I get it, you accept it. No, a, a person can know the truth and still you're not going to accept it unless the Holy Spirit baptizes you. Unless the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. Like, like Jesus said, I draw, I will draw men to myself. Um, you know, it's, you know, uh, God is the one who actually uh, saves us. He chooses us. He enters into us. He chooses those who he's going to save. The Holy Spirit regenerates our heart. And that's where the faith comes from. It's not going to come from the knowledge. Now, this, of course, goes into denominational and theological differences of people. I'm aware of that. Oh, yeah. But, but that's, that's how I see the difference. I go, the difference is the Holy Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Mm. And I, the only reason why I have it is because God saved me. I didn't, I didn't choose him. He chose me, mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, um, and that's why I think you can be totally positive for Christianity, but yet still not have the yeah. Holy Spirit, right? Anyway, that's <laughs> No, I, my... I, I agree with you. I'm going to pick on the Protestant church really a little bit here. When Danny Rains needed a good, solid mm. mentor, pastor, when he went to go visit that pastor— the dude, I mean, the guy all but pushed him down the hill. Yeah. You know, and so. A woke pastor. Right. Yeah. So my question is, is that, is he someone that you referenced today? Because I had a few of my own pastors in mind that I thought, oh, I know who that guy reminds me of. I, he reminds me of this person. He reminds me of that person. I'm like, they, just not someone that I would look up to from a, you know, a spiritual or religious point of view. Yeah, you know, here's the thing. That's another character that's, again, it's, it's rooted in a class of characters. Not anyone specifically, but I've, I have, as I've listened to podcasts, listened to the deconversion stories of many Christians, that was something that I found very intriguing. And I wanted to wrestle honestly with that, not judge them or condemn them, but say, well, this is how I think you get there. Um, and... And one of those elements is the, the woke pastors, because they do, I do know it exists out there. And I've seen some of them. It's not a specific, particular one I'm thinking of at all, by any means. But I've just seen certain character traits and th certain things that are said that I've heard that the woke, wokeness does, you know, uh, how the wokeness affects pastors. And I just tried to embody a, a fair representation of the kinds of pastors that are out there yeah. that are, you know, trying to be real Christians, but they also have embraced the woke, uh, you know, mentality. And, um, you're right. It's like the one person you should go to for help. And he is just as affected by the wokeness as everybody at the secular campus university. Yeah. So yeah, it's a sad reality in my opinion. Yeah. So, so I meant to ask this question a lot earlier, but, but I had kids jumping all over me and chicken screaming. Um, but so like one, one critique, of the critique of wokeness is like, well, what's the definition of wokeness? And I don't, I don't really want to go over like some dictionary definition, but yeah. as someone who hasn't read the book and is looking to try to understand what the things are going on, like, how would you characterize 
What, what would you say the different factions in your book think wokeness is specifically? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it is a complex issue for sure. You know, there are different, different, um, different takes on it. Um, as there is with every, every, even Christianity, right? I mean, all of us oh, yeah. here have different views, right? Um, but, but the base, you know, the, the basic definition of wokeness, which I would recommend if, if you want to, if you want to get the best understanding of it, there's two guys that you got to read or listen to or watch their podcast or whatever. And that's Christopher Rufo or James Lindsay. James Lindsay is not a Christian. Christopher Rufo is. So they have two different approaches, but they, they understand the world of, of wokeness and how it's in our society. But anyway, um, I, I said this earlier and, and it be, you know, I, I try to boil it down to a basic worldview paradigm of uh, reduction of the world into two classes, the oppressed and the oppressor. So they tend to interpret everything through oppressed oppressor lenses. Um, and then, of course, what that means is, well, what does it mean? Well, it just, it's not just Marxist economic, you know, uh, oppressed, oppressor, bourgeoisie and the proletariat, but it's critical race theory. Critical race theory is it's the white, male, heterosexual, and everybody else, all the minorities, right? Uh, it tends to, so it takes that definitional lens of oppressed, oppressor. Oppressor is the white, male, heterosexual, Christian, etc., and the minorities, are, and then everything it looks at, it interprets it to fit into, to support that paradigm, right? Uh, but it's not just critical race theory, it's all critical theory. Critical theory would be gender theory, would be fat studies, would be, you know, all the various studies, it's everything's oppressed and oppressor, and, and it reduces to their particular, you know, whim. But critical theory in general is that, that theory that has come down to us through academia um, that is, is rooted in the cultural Marxism um, that comes from a lot of the postmodernists. And so it's a, it, it's, it begins in a, in an academic environment and it filters down into the culture. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, and, and so, but I think one of the dominant paradigms in wokeness is definitely, uh, critical race theory. And, um, because racism is the is the, the 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 most sort of the driving power behind a lot of it. It's 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 in, it's in everything, but racism is a particular one. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, of course, now the the attempts of of people to deny it will say, "Oh, critical race theory is just a legal theory." Blah blah. It's it's all ridiculous. The 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 the, the masters of critical race theory themselves, like Richard Delgado, in his introduction to critical race theory, says, "Yeah, it began in legal theory, but of course not. Of course, it's it's applicable to every aspect of culture. So it's a worldview. It's not just a legal theory, and it's clearly a worldview. And and um uh." Yeah, so so that one is is that uh, all, um, all of all of culture and society is reducible to oppressed oppressor and particularly racial categories, and so everyone is operating upon racial racist categories, and that's that's what all activities and behavior are reducible to ultimately. Um, what that looks like and how that plays out you know, is, is what I try to do to depict in the, in the novel, but we're, we're seeing it all over right now, you know? So, I mean, I guess we could, I could give a n number of examples, but, um, you know, I, I, I've, I've seen it in the church. I mean, in the church where, where, 
people are assuming the uh, inherent white guilt. You know, this is another um, a, a, another very popular notion. Um, and there's a whole there's a book on it, and the book is actually a dominant uh, influence in the movement called white guilt. Uh, what was her name? I forgot who wrote it, but anyway. Um, and that's the sort of assumption of because whites are in the majority, they're inherently oppressive. And, um, and they seek to prove that in every, in systemically. So whereas in the past, the accusation of racism was white people hating black people, slash minorities, but mostly black people, right? Now it's, no, 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 we're not saying white people, we're not saying you hate black people, of course you don't. We're saying it's systemic, it's in the system, it's in the institutions. In other words, the system is racist, and you, by, by, by being a white person, you are participating in the benefits of the system, and that places you guilty of it, even though you are not personally racist. So it's, you know, it's a game, but, yeah. but it's a language game. I but that's yeah. that's the that's the racial the critical race theory part of it. But like I say, it applies to you know lots of social categories. You yeah, know? there's a subset. I would even go uh, go deeper into that. Like my my children, of course, are to go to regular uh, online school. Um, but there were, I was talking to to them in one night, and uh, they had I had made a reference to somebody's health, right? And one of them said, well, Dad, are you fat shaming? Go, you can't fat shame. I was like, wait, yeah. hold on, hold on, hold on. So my evening job, I'm a Muay Thai instructor, right? So I'm a personal instructor. I teach private lessons to help people achieve a healthier atmosphere. I'm a very much a holistic Muay Thai instructor, okay? So I'm not just there to teach people the art, but also to, to be more lively, more athletic, healthier, right? So I said, listen, I'm telling you right now, I have to be able to address my clients in a way that benefits them to understand where they are in their own physiology. Because if they can't acknowledge that, they can't become better. Mm. There's a difference between fat shaming and helping people understand where they can be to live longer, healthier, and better. So we can't say somebody's just fine the way they are when we know we can help them improve. So I think one of those one of those things that's really restricting us is personal philosophy versus real reality of life, right? Yeah. And, and if, if we can't accept the realities of life, we can't help people become healthier. And if we just acknowledge that somebody is obese, we can't help them become better, right? We have to be able to acknowledge that to help them be, reach a better goal. So, yeah. I, and so there's a, this basic, the basic tenets of science and, and physiology and biology, and, and if we don't acknowledge those things, we can't help them. So, Yeah, excellent example. You're right. Yeah, yeah. that's an excellent example. Now, the, yeah. the philosophical foundation of that is the rejection of normal abnormal distinctions. It's ultimately, a di <laughs> okay, if we want to get really deep and theological here, and this is in the novel too, by the way, but um, uh, it ultimately comes down to this. It's, there's, uh, there's a philosophical, it's a philosophical, it's actually a religious rejection of creation. What I mean by that is, if you look at the creation story in Genesis, the essence of creation is separation and distinction. 
And male and female, right? Land and water, uh, man and God, all this stuff. And so the, the modern uh, woke theorist, at least, now, and obviously individuals don't necessarily know this, but I, I believe they are actually driven by the desire to erase all distinctions. Mm. And, and that's a philosophical religious thing because I, I would argue it's ultimately a rejection of God because God creates through distinctions. And so there's no difference between men and women, right? Uh, and then it ends up being, well, then a man can become a woman, a woman can become a man, right? And, uh, and also, and there, you can't say fat is, is uh, unhealthy, and such that you, I've saw it, I've seen it, like Cosmopolitan Magazine, you know, this is healthy, and she's an obese woman, right? Yeah. And, and it's not just that they're denying reality, what they're trying to do is they're trying to say, all distinctions of normal and abnormal are wrong. And why? Because it's oppressed an oppressor. You're oppressing by calling them abnormal. And so that's why you must be forced to accept it as just a difference. And... Um, but if you, you know, but what that ends up doing is it's a, it's a, it's a rejection of good and bad. It's a rejection of good and evil, but it's also a direct rejection of health and health, healthy and unhealthy. And of course it goes down the line. Um, it's, and, and, uh, so, so that's sort of the, the sociocultural consequences is rooted in ultimately that rejection of distinctions. Mm. And, uh, but that, again, that's not something that I'm arguing uh, most of the woke people will think they don't think through those things, but the, 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 the creators of the movement definitely knew what they were doing. I do believe they know what they were, they knew what they were doing, you know, Horkheimer and, 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 you know, the, the, the Frankfurt school guys, they were literally, they wanted to undo civilization by denying all of its, uh, its, its, um, definitional distinctions, you know, okay. and that's how they went about it. So, wow. I, I'm always, I always have this problem because it's like, I've always just loved the philosophical worldview things, you know, and, and, and people always go, well, nobody's thinking that, like that, you know, it's like, yeah, that's true. I, and in some ways I think many people don't, but I just love to understand the origin of things. Like where did this come from and why, why do we think this way? And when you understand the origins of things, then you can have a little bit better understanding of, of which way you want to go and how you want to understand it. And maybe you won't be fooled by stuff, you know, um, there's that. But there's also, uh, if you understand the origin of a disease, then you can also have a better chance of addressing it and fixing it or whatever, right? So uh, I, like to, I like to do that, but I also acknowledge it's not everyone's philosophical and not everyone thinks that way, but um, I, I, I don't know. I just hope that it can, it can help in some way. Yeah, and there's other philosophic constructs that would agree with that dynamic. I mean, uh, Taoism. Taoism is very much based around the dynamics of, of uh, that diversity of life, the, the duality, I should say, the duality of life, right? Mm. Day and yeah. night and male and female. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's very much based around that. Um, by the way, by the way, th think about it. What is one of the dominant phrases in, woke move in the woke movement that you hear is, a rejection of the binary. Oh, you're thinking binary. Everything's binary. Binary is a Western construct of white supremacy, right? Male, female, white and black, or white and color, whatever. Um, and the binary, they're always rejecting the binary because that's the, literally the binary in which God created, ultimately. Yeah. It's also biological. <laughs> I did want to say, before it escapes my mind, uh, I love what your artist did. 
because when I and I was going through the book before I went to your website to look at the characters. When I pulled up Charles Cullen, he looks just like Mark Strong, the actor. Yeah. Who is the exact person I'd pictured in my really? mind as yeah. Charles Cullen. <laughs> I'd love to have him star in the min- in the in the streaming series. <laughs> I was like, "Holy, kid, it's right there." Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. so your artist did a cool. phenomenal job. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Hey, Tom, Tom, do you have any thoughts or comments about anything tonight or questions for Brian or anything? I know there's a lot we talked about. <laughs> yeah, it's covered a lot of ground, man. You got to um, push your way in. You got to you got to interrupt me. <laughs> I've just enjoyed listening to you. I I would summarize that everything you said I find intriguing. And I tend to agree. However, some of the things, you know, you just got me to think about uh, a little deeper um, in the conversation. I I think it's all great. Um, I think the one thing that um, maybe you helped me with was to reach a conclusion that there's only one truth, and that's the truth that God knows, right? And when you talk about imagination, we're all created in God's image. We have imagination and, our, and infinity, right? And you mentioned the word infinity. Um, God could handle infinity because he is infinite. We can't because we're finite. And therefore, all our imaginations are some form other than the one truth that really exists, which is God's. So it's inevitable that we're all, I was going to say screwed up. Can I say that? Yes, you can. We're all kind of screwed up in that we don't have what it takes to handle infinity. Like I picture um, you can't handle the truth. You know, well, we can't handle infinity. We just can't. And therefore, we imagine all these different things. And Karl Marx, uh, what he imposed on the human race, I mean, it was yeah, just evil. So you know, you I, anyway, book- just, those were some of my thoughts. And um, I guess my conclusion is we're all individually trying to align with the real truth, and that's God's truth. And how to get there I, is, is life, you know? Excellent point. Um, and by the way, un, only throughout most all of history, that has been the basic belief of humankind, of philosophy, of religion, um, right? It is the belief that there is a reality and we are trying to find out what it is and align our thoughts with reality, right? We want to make, we, that, that's correspondence. We want our minds to correspond with reality because like you said, we're all screwed up and we, our imaginations, we got all different ideas and how often have we found out, oh, we're wrong. We thought about the world wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about the Ptolemaic universe, right? And, and the Copernican revolution and just the way we thought the universe was, was wrong. So our, the whole goal of history has been, uh, by most thinking, human thinking has been, to find out what reality is like so that our minds can align to it. And only now in this recent little puny little time period 
has that completely flipped around and denied that pursuit. It's not about making our minds correspond to reality. It's about making reality correspond to our minds, mm. which means that's an internal self-deification. What my mind feels and thinks is the truth. So therefore, if I feel like I'm a woman, I'll change reality. I'll cut my body up to try to look like a woman. If, you know what I'm saying? So this is the kind of worldview switch, a complete switch of even the nature of what we would call metaphysics, you know, the pursuit of understanding the nature of reality and, and, and or ontology, nature of reality. Um, that's a distinct flip-flop, right? Which is why we have so much of insanity uh, of what's going on. Because when you, when you no longer seek to, uh, to align your mind with reality, but align reality with your mind, it's Tower of Babel, baby. Anything goes. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Hey, because really the like, human mind uh, you're, you're, is amazingly creative, aren't we? Yes, and we by are. the way, I, th I think that that's, that's part of created in God's image. Our imagination reflects the creative power of God, but that imaginative mind in con uh, controlled by human depravity, original sin, whatever you call it, sinful nature, can create the, the, the worst diabolical evil, evil of all. But that imagination surrendered to Aslan, surrendered to God, the creator, um, refocuses that, that energy and that, and that direction into, you know, what we would argue would be goodness, or at least the pursuit of what is God's reality, you know? Mm, very nice. Very nice. Man, this has been a fantastic talk. I've really, really enjoyed this. Uh, Thanks for having I me am on. Too. Yeah, and just so you know, this is—I'm calling this one "Cruel Logic in the Gadawa Verse." <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely, uh, Tom. Any last thoughts? Yeah, I just want to say I appreciate you guys inviting me here. I mean, it's the first time I've even joined these guys. I'd never been in this room before. I think it's a really cool uh, environment. You guys yeah. get into some really good stuff. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, Keith? I, I wish I could go there. It looks like such a cool place to be. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it is. We wish we could have you here, man. Yeah. Whenever you're here in Cleveland. <laughs> uh, oh, no. Um, yeah, no, I was just going to say, I appreciate you having you on by. There's so many questions. I would love to pick your brain more. We would probably be on very yeah. opposite uh, ends of the spectrum as me being a bisexual deconstructor. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> That's okay. It was... <laughs> oh, I was like, oh, but I, I appreciate the the way you argue it, and even even when I think I've heard an argument many times, and think I formulate might maybe the way around that, like you've given me some extra avenues to research. So I really appreciate the way you not just you you think about it, um, but I appreciate how you think about it and frame it in a narrative. Um, you can see that process go out that you're not just trying to. You're not, you're, you know, it's, it's well beyond like repeating, you know, certain talking points or whatever. It's about yeah. like actually formulating something in a way that you could actually explain how it would 
work in these lives interacting in a well-fleshed-out world in a narrative. So I really appreciate that. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that because that is how I feel and that is how I seek to approach my art uh, because I, not, I, I don't want to do propaganda. Now, the truth is, is every artist has a view and all art will have a view, but, but the goal is always to go, even though I have a view, I still want to you know, sort of accurately depict uh, the world from from multiple perspectives, you know, and to be honest with those, it's like it's like if you're having a debate with someone, you want to steel man their view, not straw man it, and and that's what I, that's what I seek to do. Even though I have a very distinct view, I like I want to say, well, but what's the truth in the view that I don't agree with? What's the truth in it? Mm. And let me try to 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 capture that. And so, uh, but you know, that is what I seek to do. And hearing you say that is is actually. Um, a great encouragement, Keith. I, I actually do appreciate that because I don't know, you know, I'm doing my best and, you know, and I'm sure there's going to be people who are going to, you know, hate me and or whatever and hate me and lash out. Oh, you're a racist and you're a typical Christian, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, I mean, I believe in something, but I'm definitely, I, I just, I want to tell a great story and I want to respect the world for the multi, multi-perspectival reality that is there, somehow negotiate that within my own understanding for sure. So thanks. Absolutely. And and Keith, Keith, I'm sure you'll get your opportunity to ask more questions because I'm hoping to bring uh, Brian Godawa on for the sequels. Because All right, I'll be ready. From what I understand, (laughs) there's going to be more. Let's feel some arguments here. (laughs) Actually, actually, the next, I think that I'm not entirely sure. I've got two ideas for the next novel that I go with this series. It's not, uh, it's not going to, just so you know, it's not going to be the same characters. It's going to be like Dean Koontz. Like, it's going to be thrillers, but completely different novels. You know what I mean? So, but the next one is going to be really interesting. We'll see. Fantastic. So thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Gumby, anything else? Oh, Brian, thank you. Thank you for your continued dedication and diligence and your research and your work and your art. Uh, we love having you on, man, and there's nothing taboo over brew. <laughs> I want to uh, thank Gumby. Uh, Gumby brought the cigars tonight that paired ever so well with the scotch. Yes, Rocky Just Patels. fantastic. Those were great. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for coming on. We love having you on every single time. Yep. I will get again. I, I apologize. I was at uh, I was at camp out in the mountains, so I didn't have access to much. I will be getting for our follow up for our, your next one. I will be getting up a, a bottle over to you so you can enjoy it with us. <laughs> awesome! I'll, I'll do it. All right. And, I better uh, hurry up and get that written. Yes. <laughs> and uh, please look for us on social media. Uh, we are all over the place. You name it, YouTube now, and which we're building back up. And then uh, Facebook, Twitter, I'm sorry, now X. Uh, you name it, we're on it. Thank you so much for having us. Keep checking us out. Uh, please visit our Patreon. Yes. So we can continue to bring you our stories. And uh, Godspeed and good night. Peace out. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs>